0: All right, folks, what's going on? It's Monday, and that means it's time for a New Land podcast episode. This is Jake Hofer, and this week we have Thomas Millsna on the podcast. And Thomas... Has a pretty interesting career path. He handled the customer service department for Reconyx for 10 years. He has since transitioned into a new career and owns a company called the Untamed Ambition. And also under that is the Whitetail Ambition. And basically, he has a consulting and coaching program for people to get more out of their whitetail land or seasons and <clears throat> his website's really cool there's a it's really well thought out there's a lot of good information um you can really dive in and learn all about him and see what he has going on and get an idea if it's something if he has something to offer that could help you i have his whitetail ambition annual success planner really well thought out um if you go over to the his website look through it it's just it makes sense as a diehard whitetail hunter myself and it has like the monthly checklist it has uh, just a lot of thought throughout the whole entire thing and there's a lot of copy through there that you can read through so definitely suggest checking that out if something you're interested in and um, feel free to reach out to thomas if you think he could help you out but um, i wanted to talk to thomas in terms of helping people walk through things to really consider before buying a piece of ground so when you're in the prospecting phase and you're trying to look at farms online and really slow down and consider a lot of the things we talk about here in this episode and also we talk about how to get along with your neighbors a little bit better or at least you yourself be a good neighbor and hopefully in return um, it creates a better experience for everyone in the area some interesting tactics that i have never heard on how to handle that with uh great success hopefully so anyhow we hope you guys enjoy it I just finished planting 900 pounds of rye grain in failed food plots um, or food plots that are in dire need of a drink so uh, my dad and I planted a ton of rye hopefully we get some rain here and uh, really excited for what we have coming up here this season. And also, just want to say thanks to everyone that's taken the time to reach out and uh, say that this podcast has helped them or they've had a similar experience or have expressed interest to be on it. Really appreciate it. You can go to the link tree and find a way to connect with me. And uh, would certainly love to hear from you guys. So, until later, let's get right into the episode. All right. So, we have. Thomas Mills now here on the podcast, and we just actually finished up recording a podcast for Trocam Radio, and this will be the podcast. We're doing it backwards. The one we just recorded will go out Tuesday. This one's going to go out first, so this is a prelude uh, to anyone that's going to be listening to both of them, but Thomas, how are you doing this morning? I guess it's creeping on afternoon now.
1: I'm well. I'm well. How are you?
0: I've never been better. It's Friday. (laughs) Let's see. The temperatures are earlier. It's pretty, it was, it's that weird time of the year where you get up early and it's like fifties and then it oh, creeps up to 80.
1: That open window weather, right? Yep. It's just, yeah. Leaves are starting to fall they're a little bit crunchy in some spots, still plenty of cover, but it's just, it feels like fall. And it's like, now is that time where, you know, all year long you're thinking about and, and preparing for the fall, but now all of a sudden you like, all in. your senses are stimulated and your brain's starting to go. Okay. Now I start thinking about
0: hunting season and oh, things yeah. get exciting. Yeah. We've, gosh, we've experienced a drought here lately and we haven't got a legitimate rain in probably three weeks. And I I, wow. planted, a, I planted a food plot two weeks ago and like we got one sprinkle and it's not germinating at all. So thankfully... If you dig in the dirt far enough, there's quite a bit of water. So we have a sand point, and I've been hand irrigating this field (laughs) lately that's on the edge of the farm. And whatever uh, it takes, man. (laughs) Yeah, just need a little germination, hopefully get it going, maybe we'll time it with the rain. But I got about been doing the last two days and have about half of it done. So once we finish here, I'm going to go move the irrigator 20 feet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I did that actually at my house this year, too. A couple of those. The sprinkler head yep yep like, yep yeah. whatever again whatever it takes it's nice i mean i've i've done it before on our actual hunting property i trucked a thousand gallon well i think it was like a 800 gallon water tank out there with a gas pump i've yep. dropped the hose in the nearby creek it, like you said once you get it to germinate where those seeds open up and send a root down you know it's like that's a game changer that's really all it takes this yeah. time of year especially you know, I, I would say the big thing with that is just don't overwork your soil and, and destroy that mulch or that thatch layer, because if you can hold that moisture in there, yeah. you give them a, a little bit of a head start and they take right off. But yeah, yeah it's,
0: Keep it's that been a weird
1: due. year by us too, where it's, it's, it's all or nothing, right? Like we yeah. won't have rain for a while and then we'll get six inches of rain in a day and then it dries up again. But I guess we're sitting a little bit better than you are without rain for a few weeks.
0: Yeah. It was poor timing. I, uh, I missed uh, being busy, like I missed the weekend. I really wanted to do it. And then the next weekend's like, well, I have time to do it. So I'm going to do it now. Just yeah. weather hasn't cooperated, <laughs> but that's uh, that's how it goes sometimes. But anyhow, um, tell I know you on the last one, you told us, you know, kind of a little bit about who you are, but I'm going to put you through the pain of saying it again. <laughs> so, yep, yep.
1: You know. uh, yep. So, obviously, you already introduced me. My name is Thomas Mills now. Um, I own the Untamed Ambition, which is a habitat consulting and whitetail coaching business Um, so basically on a daily basis i work with clients on all sorts of different levels whether it's um, purely through coaching uh, virtually or on site and just working on you know different things they can do to improve their chances of success and and improve their odds come fall Um, all the way up to habitat consulting and, and putting together land plans and improvement plans for their property um, on on both the habitat and the hunting side of things. Um, my background, <clears throat> I grew up on a on a dairy farm in southwestern Wisconsin, so you know my connection to the land started at a very young age. I basically grew up in the outdoors, and I was, for the lack of better term I was basically a middle child so I was left to my own devices (laughs) frequently (laughs) um, which is you know kind of where I developed that love for the outdoors you know just spending time out there doing whatever I wanted to do and kind of falling in love with nature and and whatnot and then after high school I went on and uh, went into wildlife biology and dug into that stuff a lot more and then I actually eventually got a degree in electronics and worked for a trail camera company for the last ten years. So, mm-hmm. where I, I started my career pursuit uh, with the a- anticipation of becoming a wildlife biologist, I actually found myself for the next ten years working kind of on the other side of the coin, but working directly with the wildlife biologists and and researchers all over the world. Um, you know, everything from animal researchers to environmental researchers, and you know, all sorts of projects there and so I've, I've I've been able to gain a lot of perspective from a lot of, of different areas and, and all over the world. Um, yeah. but it's been fun. and now I'm now I'm finally at a point where I can work one on one and recruit and decide on my own customers and client base. and and it's it's been fun. it's It's been very rewarding, uh, you know looking looking back even at just the last couple of years at some of these situations and the turning points that some of these guys have had and and obviously, you know this podcast is about properties. In general, it's it's awesome to be able to look at a property, uh, what it is now, uh, you know, compared to what it was two, three years ago, and see how it's changed. and And that's just the start of it. Obviously, a lot of these things take time to develop, mm-hmm. but it, it's fun to fun to watch that stuff develop. You know, it's like raising a child really see where they start and what they've become. It's it's very rewarding.
0: Yeah, that's uh that's really cool and an interesting career path. And <clears throat> I'm sure you've had a, a lot of interesting conversations. And I know you worked with reconix which I think would int- attract some interesting um you know customers in general that i'm sure you cross paths with with some cool projects i remember might have been last football season or the football season before that i as a co-owner of a trail camera company I, i'd always see the reconnix on the microsoft research commercial oh yeah <laughs> yep yep uh, so uh yeah that's that's pretty neat but um you know i you know looking through your site and um you know, I just, we just recorded a different conversation geared a little bit differently, but this conversation, I guess, in my mind is someone that is saving up to buy their first piece of ground and maybe they're four years away from it. Maybe they're five years away from it, or maybe it's next spring and they're trying to figure out of like, you know, what are some things that they really need to be aware of as they shop for a piece of ground? Because I think everyone... Anyone that is crazy enough to make the sacrifices in their life to buy a piece of ground probably has a good basis, but I think a lot of it can be overlooked at times and or maybe they think they can overcome things that they really can't so you know walking some parcels with clients, what are some things of like really want to stay away from that? you know like
1: yeah I mean, the obvious, which is probably hammered on a lot, I'm sure you know the conversations you've had with other people. Um, comes up all the time is access. Right? That's the first you know, access, thing I have in
0: my notes here. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: access is going to be huge. You know, you can, you can get onto a piece of ground, and really any piece of ground could be improved. You know, even the best property always has room for improvement, and the worst properties obviously have dramatic room for improvement. So you can always improve a property, uh, but if your access is poor, uh, you're kind of limited there and you know, the big thing that I always talk about is the pressure, you know, keeping pressure off a property is going to be the most critical aspect to uh, creating potential on that property. And poor access is directly related to high pressure. So, you know, if you have a property, you know, again, every property is different, everybody's budget's different. So if it's a small property with poor access, you put pressure on real fast. If it's a large property with poor access, you might only put pressure on part of that property. And then, you know, the rest of it, you can kind of milk out your season and maybe have more opportunities, but most people relatively speaking, aren't going out and and buying their first chunk of land and investing in a two, 300 acre property, right? They're Looking at a a 20 to 40, 60 acre property, which, you know, with my clients, I actually get really excited when someone calls me up and says they want me to walk a 25 acre property with them because especially if you're a first time landowner, first time land buyer, uh, you know, it's, I don't want to call it a practice property by any means, but it's hard to really wrap your head around the amount of work that goes into habitat improvement until you start doing it. And if you have a 25 acre property, you only have 25 acres to worry about. And and most of the time out of that 25 acre property, we're only looking at really trying to improve, you know, 50% or even 25% at a time Mm -hmm. and try and break that down on a yearly basis. So it's not so overwhelming, but Looking for a property that has good access right off the bat eliminates the biggest problem that any property has, which is the access. So access so, is huge.
0: Yeah, when you Come say ahead. when you say poor access, break break that down in like a one hundred one version. Is it meaning like the food, all the foods on the front part of the farm, and you have to walk through? I mean, break that down to what that looks like to you on a poor Yeah, access. food.
1: You know, food is obviously going to be a, a big thing
0: because when it comes
1: to hunting a property most people are are hunting movement that's defined by food. Mm-hmm. Um, so having all the food in an easy to get to area is huge. But I will say that, you know, depending on how property lays out uh, and where that food can go, you know, that's, that's open for interpretation. Uh, really, you don't want to hunt a food source where deer end up at night. You want to hunt the food source or that travel corridor going to that food. So if the property lends for some manipulation, or you know the topography creates natural travel corridors that you can hunt, where deer are moving from bed to food, and then you can get out of there without disturbing that food source, that's you know that's the kind of the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you you know having just food in general in a location that you can get in and out of the property without disturbing that food source is the biggest thing with access. You know, mm-hmm. and you can you can work around that. Um, there's always a workaround in one way, shape or form. But the last thing you wanna do is invest in a property and then have someone like me show up to help you and tell you that it's gonna cost you a, a pile of money or you, know, you have to get a bulldozer in there, $20,000 in excavation later, now you have an access road that doesn't disturb the whole property. You know those are, those are things that frequently come up, I think that get overlooked where it's obviously, especially again, when you're buying a new property, uh, or first-time property owner, it's exciting, right, man? I finally mm-hmm. saved up that money. I finally, finally uh, had that break in my career where I've got more cash flow or more expendable income where I can invest in a property, and you know, it's the American dream to have that mm-hmm. property of your own and make those improvements. But then you get hit with that, you know, that, <laughs> that blindsided <laughs> answer of, uh, well gonna to need to do these things before this really hunts well so access is huge getting in and out of your property without disturbing bedding or food is huge and then you know the other thing too with access is and especially you know if it's a younger person buying a property that you potentially ever want to build on you know whether it's a cabin or a house you know that's a big thing when you deal with and i've dealt with a fair share of them myself with the land and and properties that we've owned, and I flipped a few houses to to get to where we are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you deal with some realtors that, you know, at the end of the day, right? A realtor's a they're a salesperson for land, and mm-hmm. some realtors have a good idea of hunting, some don't, and even ones that have a good idea of hunting, they're going to tell you which what they think you want to hear so that you buy a property. So I have aware. I'll tell you that though.
0: <laughs> I really I trust you. I yeah, trust yeah you. I, I yeah, really you know, have.
1: And that's the thing. I mean, it all does come back to reputation and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But you know, a lot of a lot of them, will, you know, it, even just the listing. You know, I'm not trying to like target any specific. It, it could be, yeah. yeah I mean, it. there's
0: a, there's a stigma with the business. I, I'll be the first to say it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you know, every listing for vacant land is going to tell you like, there's a great building site yeah. here, a great yeah. building site there. But that's the other thing you need to look at is, is there actually? You know, sure, there's a great building site anywhere. But again, if you have to build a road through the whole property or beg for an easement from your neighbor to get into a spot that's worth building. That's one thing, but also how does that building site, you know, how does that uh, interact with the rest of the property? Cause you have a building site on the West side of the property and the prevailing winds out of the West. <laughs> and then, you know, a, a big thing, I think that's often overlooked with wind uh, beyond scent is noise, right? Wind carries noise. Yeah. And if, if you get in that side of the property and, whether it is a cabin or a house and then you're you're basically pushing your disturbance through the whole property with the prevailing wind which is happening most of the time Mm -hmm. it it hurts your property so yeah access you know not just for hunting but anything you plan on doing you know five ten twenty years down the road could come back to haunt you Uh, Mm -hmm. you know and then at the same time you know you want to look at those neighboring properties too because if the neighboring property has good access to the, you know, the West side of your property. And then someone builds a house on that. That's just as bad as if you built a house, you know, you're just talking one line fence difference. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Access is
1: huge for sure.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you this. So if you, uh, two identical properties, one only has a North road access. One only has a South road access. Uh, Which one of the two would you pick? I mean, I'm,
1: I'm probably going with the north road access. Uh, you know, most prevailing winds are usually south, some variant of west, but more south than west. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously during the hunting season, we get a lot more north winds, mm-hmm. but those north winds rarely stick for a long period of time. it's usually a, a few days at a crack. And, and, you know, when you look at it that way, it's kind of a flip of a coin too. Right. Sure. I, you know, it, again, it really does come into how that property lays out. Because if, if your access is from the north, but maybe your best betting's on the north end, you have to go through that or go past that, that can be you know, harmful as well. And, and the same goes, if your access is from the south and you have to cross through some of those better areas to get to food on the north side, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it, it kind of is a big picture thing and every situation is going to be different. Uh, you know, sometimes you just have to get creative, creative in general with your access, you know, it, if if you have a property that maybe it has a river on one side, are you willing to mm-hmm. jump in a canoe or a flat bottom boat or something to slip in there? You know, mm-hmm. cause that's huge. It, maybe you access your property to do your food plots or, or scouting from one direction, but when it comes to hunting, you access from the safer area, the the less obtrusive area. So yeah, every property is different and every situation is different. And, you know, I guess the biggest piece of advice I would have there is try not to get too, uh, narrow focused or you know, spotlighted on that property look at the area in general sure. to make sure that because you know, that's a lot of it too especially with a smaller property you don't want to you might have great access to get to a food plot on your property but if you're stirring up all the property the neighboring properties on the way in and those deer are coming from those neighboring properties you know from my experience deer bed where they bed based on pressure and that pressure is often uh, dictated or the, the security that they get from those areas is dictated by the wind direction. So, wind directly relates to bedding and then pressure, you know, kind of fine tunes that. And there's just nothing you can do. You can have phenomenal habitat, but if the wind doesn't lend for good bedding in that habitat, but it, the wind lends for good bedding on the other side of the fence and the habitat's mediocre, those deer are going to bed where the wind sure. puts them. So, yeah. if you have to cross through there and you blow those deer out of there and you push them into the neighbors deeper instead of into yours, I can can Definitely hurt
0: you, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of good points there in terms of uh not being too narrow focused on looking at just the parcel and and think of okay, look at the terrain of the property, how do you think the deer will bed? I mean, with the, all the different mapping softwares out there, I feel like you have a pretty good idea of where you think the predominant bedding is right now. Obviously, you can change that with someone like yourself putting you know or implementing a plan, but um, all, all very important things so. The the next question. I know you mentioned you're in Amish country, so would that be a deal breaker for you? Uh, Obviously, a a good good neighbors are great, but there's a lot less. There's more uh, unsavory neighbors when it comes to you know hunters that have similar goals than not. What what are your, What's your philosophy on neighbors? My yeah. So this is a conversation I have
1: frequently, right? You know, so with my business and the coaching side of it, like we talked about before. I like to say habits than habitat, because habits habits are short term, you know that's a relatively short term change. Mm-hmm. Habitat is the longer term development, and directly related to that is your neighbors. And what I tell my clients all the time is, community communication creates common goals. Uh, community communication creates common goals, where. I would prefer, honestly, at this point in the game, I would prefer to buy a property that's surrounded by neighbors that are there all the time and, and invested in the land, you know, like Amish, they're not going anywhere versus buying a property where the neighbors are out of state or, you know, it's their second, third, fourth property. They're not there. They're not as invested. They they just show up, they do whatever and they move on. There And there's many reasons for that. One is if you need to communicate on a short-term basis with those neighbors. Maybe you shoot a deer, it crosses the fence. Maybe you get a tractor stuck in there. You have to access from a different location. You know, I was just on a property not that long ago, Uh, the same day I was there, there was a guy there with an excavator and he flipped it on the road going out. We were basically locked in this property. Well, we got permission from the neighbors to bring a big lift in, basically a small crane uh, (laughs) through the back end of the property, but they had to cross the field, right? If that neighbor was out of state and you couldn't get a hold of him, we would have been screwed for lack of a better term. Right. You know, so that's a big thing, but communicating with those neighbors and letting them know your intentions, letting them know what you're doing uh, in the long run, it's always beneficial. And if that neighbor is not as invested in the area and invested in, in those goals, it's going to come back and hurt you, you know? And, and, and the other thing too, is, you know, when you buy a property, going back to what we were talking about with the building sites, you know, if, if, if that neighbor's been there for 10 years and you know, whether it's Amish or not, maybe it's a farmer and and the farmer has kids, and you know, when when he passes on, those kids are gonna inherit the property and they've got a lot more pride and just blood, sweat, and tears invested in that property, then you know that once you get a good thing going, it's probably gonna stay good for a lot longer or you know, continually get better. Again, communication's the key there. Inversely, if you have a guy that just bought that because it's an investment property and he doesn't want to put as much time into it, you know, and I'm not saying out-of-state guys don't put time into their property investment, but you have a guy that just buys it to buy it. He might flip that property next year, or he might sell it to a yeah. development company, and and everything changes. And now you just spent half of a decade trying to improve your property, and there's nothing you can do about what's happening next door. So there's a lot of it that goes there. But my best advice is, you know, look for properties with with neighbors that have roots in the area if you can and, and then work with them right away and don't be afraid to, to talk to them. My, my general rule of thumb there is I always give my neighbors a little bit more information than they give me when it comes to the actual hunting side of things. So, you know, I am at the point, even with the Amish neighbors, I'm at the point where every year I print out a packet full of trail camera photos and give them to them. And I, and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to tell them they need to set goals in line with mine but I let them know what mine are. And I show them, you know, there's X number of, of quality mature deer on the property. Here's a bunch of deer that with one or two more years have phenomenal potential. And, you know, obviously I don't need to print a packet full of yearling bucks because they're gonna recognize that. But by doing that, they, they go, you know, and obviously, I mean, there's probably some out there, but most Amish aren't running trail cameras, right? So they don't know until they see a deer. But by doing that, they're aware that there's good deer in the area. And that's probably one of the biggest things I've dealt with in our area with Amish is the non-Amish neighbors have this mentality where, well, if I don't shoot that deer, the Amish are going to shoot it, right? If I don't shoot that, someone else is going to shoot it anyway. So I might as well just shoot that two-year-old buck. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not always true. The Amish might do it because they need to feed their family or they might do it because they don't know what else is out there. But now I'm at the point where I think I hand out last year, I think I handed out six different packets um, (laughs) to neighbors. (laughs) <laughs> with those. And again, I'm not telling them to set goals. I'm just saying this is what it is. And this is, you know, these are bucks I'm after I followed. And, and then they go, okay, well, we know there's better bucks out there. So we'll kill some does and feed our family. And we're going to hold off. Two years ago uh, in the, just in the neighboring area, I think there was four different Amish kids that killed bucks over 160 inches with a bow. Wow. wow. Which is a pr- pretty dang impressive. If you ask me, I mean,
0: yeah. Has that come a long way? Has the photo packet helped you think? dramatically with your
1: goals. Yep. And, and you know, again, it's because, you know, I'm, I'm really, I really only talk to these neighbors a few times a year and, you know, this day and age, it's, it's hard to believe what people are saying, but you know, pictures worth a thousand words. And if I show them a trail camera picture of a buck and, you know, one, it's no different than us looking at trail cam pictures, right? Like I want to know what the inventory is. I also want to know that that's the deer. So that Mm -hmm. one, I see that deer in the woods. I'm not trying to, you know, judge that deer and make a decision. I just want to go, okay, it's game time, or I'm just going to enjoy this encounter. So it's definitely helped with them. It's slowed them down. And that's, that's really at the end of the day, that's my biggest goal with even the people that hunt our property and the neighbors is I just want them to slow down, take it second, and, you know, don't feel rushed to, to pull that trigger because you don't know what's happening or what's out there. If they slow down and judge that animal a little bit because they know there's a better buck out there or they're trying to you know, confirm that sighting with that deer, uh, then they, they're just more apt to stay off the trigger, have a little bit more control. Mm-hmm. So, And at the same time, it just promotes... Again, that sense of community where you're all kind of on the same page, and at the end of the season, some you know sometimes it's hard to figure out where some of these deer are moving when they're not on your property, right? We that's kind of you know back to that spotlight thing, but with deer movement, we only know what we know, right? So you only know what that deer is doing when he's on On your your property or in front of your cameras. You don't know, yeah, exactly. You don't know where he is when he's off your property. But once you start communicating with neighbors and you know you show them the trail cam pictures, and then at the end of the year, I'll check in with them and see what they what they killed or what they saw, and and then you know they tell me yeah I had an encounter with that buck or this and that blah blah. blah. Well, sometimes it can be as simple, especially with a small property, it's just as simple as knowing like okay when that buck moves off this property, he's going out this corner, he's going that direction versus that direction, because if I'm trying to kill that deer on an escape route or an entrance route of the property, which oftentimes you know if you're in hill country especially, a lot of your best pinch points are you know, and I don't want to condone or promote fence sitting by any means, but a lot of your best pinch points are where these fence lines come in because they long ago, they cleared off a spot for that fence line on that this hillside and created a, you know, a flat spot or a little bit of a, a plateau or a, a bench up there. And, you know, so you're trying to figure out these corners where these deer are pinching through. And and a lot of times that information can come from just communicating with your neighbors. Yeah. So at the, at the end of the day, you know, again give a little bit more than what you get and you know the, the guys that are running cameras i'll give them pictures and and hope that they give them back and if they don't give them back then i don't give them anymore mm-hmm. you know at the same time if i'm chasing a 200 a inch deer well
0: yeah you're not sure in that packet
1: <laughs> well no i will
0: but uh, oh to really honest, I
1: mean, I'm, I'm gonna give them the shittiest picture of that deer i have <laughs> where it's like a blurry picture in the background but they know it's a giant deer right because i yeah. want i want to generate that excitement you know it's mm-hmm. It's no different than the industry as a whole, right? We want to keep everyone excited because we want to keep hunting around and at the same time. I don't want my neighbor to go out and just be like, well, I'm just going to shoot that deer because nothing else is out there. If if that guy goes through the season in the back of his mind, knowing that at any given time, he might cross paths with a buck of a lifetime, he's for sure going to hold off on killing that, you know, that stud three-year-old with a ton of potential. Yeah. And if he doesn't, then so be it. You know, you do everything you can. And at the end of the day, it's their decision and their goals. But yeah, I I always share them. A funny story on that. I mean, the the year I was chasing that really big deer, um, I shared a picture with a neighbor and he shared one back. And at first I was like, oh man, that deer's moving through an area I did not expect. And then a couple of weeks later, I was, you know, just like obsessing with this thought. And it actually turned out that there was 2 200 20-inch deer in the area that um that the other buck didn't get killed that year he actually got killed like two or three years later and had regressed quite a bit Mm -hmm. um and i think the guy that actually shot him at the time he shot him during the rut and he had a like half of his main beam was broken off but he had Mm -hmm. like six or seven inch bases and he was just a freak of a deer too so but yeah it's it's always better to be you know honesty is the best policy in any situation um so if you can be honest and open with them and like i said you don't you don't always have to tell them everything but you know, don't lie if someone backs you into a corner and asks about stuff, you just tell them what they need to know and, and again, give them a little bit more than they give you and hope that they reciprocate and, and move yeah. on from there. And it all works out because, you know, there's there's plenty of studies now proving you can't really manage a deer herd on a small property. Sure, yeah. You, know, you can't manage genetics, you can't, it's hard to manage the whole thing. The best thing you can do is keep pressure off and hope that you can provide a sanctuary for young bucks to, to grow to a, an older age. But when you get all those neighbors on board and create that sense of community and those common goals, and these guys start passing up bucks, it just increases everyone's chances
0: and morale
1: opportunity and morale for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's good. Yeah. Another good point that uh, you, you made mention of is, you know, looking around to see what are some of those centennial farms that are in the area too, that aren't going to change hands. I mean, I, I'd personally know farmers that, you know, it's their thought processes, you know, we inherited this, we'll never sell it. And we're, we continue to, you know, uh, pass that along. So, you know, that could be a good and a bad thing if they're a great neighbor and they're steady. Awesome. Yeah. If, yep. if it's not the case, well, then maybe you can make adjustments, but maybe you, you wouldn't buy it because of that, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. And, you know, to that point, to add to that, you know, again, going back to building those relationships, I, I've had a handful of customers or clients that have dealt with those centennial farms, like you're saying. And maybe they hit a generation gap where no one hunts in that family always maintain that relationship and offer them, you know, the the possibility to maybe lease that property. There's a lot of them, you know, their farms bought and paid for, right? They're not worried about that. Uh, I just talked to a client the other day who their property, they rent, they only have 10 acres of tillable on, and they rent it to a neighbor. And, I, you know, I always ask, you know, what, what are you renting it for? Like how much per acre? And, you know, the going rate in this area right now, which down by you is probably way more, but the going rate in this area it ranges anywhere from, 120 to 175 maybe 200 dollars per acre for tillable property and when it comes to putting together a plan uh you know for a property taking away an acre right taking 150 dollars out of your pocket it's not going to make or break most people at the end of the year but adding an acre of food that you leave for deer that can be a that can be a game changer especially you know if you're trying to target early or late season specifically um, but some of these guys you know, talk to and they're like yeah he, he rents it for nothing or he just lets them run it or you know 50 bucks an acre or you know he does that but then he cuts wood for us you know stuff like that so you build those relationships over time and -hmm. then when they hit that generational gap where no one's really hunting if you can slip in and hunt their property or you know have the rights to it whether you have to pay to hunt it or you just control it so you know what's going on Mm -hmm. that's that's huge too
0: yeah Um, it
1: all comes from those relationships so
0: hmm Yeah. It comes down to just being a good person. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. it. So it, much really of does. it.
1: Yeah. And, and that, you know, we all have to remember at the end of the day, this is fair chase hunting and there's no possession of, of bucks. Right. So as much as we want to say, like, that's my buck, I'm going after that buck. Yeah. You have to be happy for your neighbors if they kill that deer. Mm-hmm. And my mindset, I mean, I, I'll completely admit, you know, back in the day, I had some animosity towards some neighbors that were killing big deer that I was chasing. But then I just looked at what I was doing and and what was happening on our property and realized that maybe, you know, maybe this is my fault, that I'm not killing these deer. Right. If I'm, yeah, my mindset is if I'm getting pictures of mature bucks, especially daylight pictures or close to daylight pictures, then I have the opportunity or I have some hope or some potential of killing that deer. And I just have to figure out how to be a better hunter and and attack my property differently. Mm -hmm. And now I'm at the point where I'm, ecstatic for these guys to kill deer. Yeah. Sometimes you know if you're chasing one buck all season and then he gets killed by the neighbors, it can be a little bit disheartening. But at the same time, again, it's fair chase. It's anyone's anyone's chance to kill that deer.
0: And they you don't have know us for them. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, deer do not know what property boundaries are uh, for the no, most part. Definitely
1: not. Definitely not at all. So yeah, you just have to again create those common goals and everyone's got a better chance for success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh we work through access we work through neighbors. Um what are is there an ideal property type that you think is the best? Is it abandoned p- pasture ground? Is it hardwoods? Is it a mix of all? I mean, give me your, uh, your dream 40, I guess, if you had to break it down in percentages. Um,
1: you know, I guess my, my dream 40, it's hard to say, you know, like lay of land. I, I love Hills, right. You know, and topography changes in topography creates more surface area more room for deer to run, more cover. Topography is the best form of cover. Uh, and we've talked about this before. Uh, pressure is pressure is what's gonna limit your potential. And the only way to reduce pressure, keep pressure off is with cover or consistency. And when you have topography, it creates great cover, uh, you know, if you're lacking quality vegetation. But when it comes down to my dream 40, uh, you know, again, peel back a little bit and look at the bigger picture. I can have the perfect 40 acres I want a 40 acre chunk that's essentially a travel corridor between two bigger chunks of land mm-hmm. and that you know I want a property where deer are moving through as much as possible if the area lends for deer to be up you know held in that area now obviously if you're in an area with a lot of pressure then I want a place where deer feel secure Safe. as a sanctuary but you know again the ideal 40 would be an area that's got a travel corridor through it that I can put food in to slow those deer down. You know, add that cover, slow those deer down, make them feel secure. But it gives me the opportunity to slip in there and slip out, and I'm not fighting the issues with you know deer being there when I go in or being there when I try and leave. And again, it all comes down to the pressure mm-hmm. and and keeping that pressure off the property, or you know, not just keeping the pressure off the property, but on the relative scale is making sure your pressure is lower than the neighbor's, because you know, the analogy I like to use of that is if you picture a, a partially deflated air mattress, right? When you look at that air mattress, it looks pretty normal if it's just sitting there, right? It's partially deflated, but you can't really tell. But now if you step on one end of it, where does all that air go? It goes to the far end. Sure. And that's the same when you're talking about mature bucks and pressure. They're going to go to where the least amount of pressure is. And so if you put pressure on your property, they go out you know, they move way right away. And, and that can sometimes be a problem too. So if you're looking at a property, a hunting property and the neighboring property is this big chunk of timber that never gets hunted. You know, it's, it's great to have that sanctuary there. And it's definitely advantageous to you, but you have to be conscious of that because if you put pressure on, they know where the low pressure spot is Chuck that they can over, disappear yeah. into. And yeah. if there's no pressure there, then they never get stirred back up again. So you just have to make sure that you're providing something that's attractive and appealing for them to come in. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, to answer that question, my perfect 40 is going to be a mix, you know, but the big thing is I want to, I want a place where I can put some food and there's adequate cover, but the biggest thing is that access. And if I can find a property that's major travel corridor and provides food and cover in there, that's what I want to go for. Mm -hmm. It's also a lot easier to manage a property like that too, smaller property.
0: What about the, uh, the end of the road type properties, meaning not necessarily a physical road, but, um, you know you're in bluff country where the bluffs end and it starts to be where it flattens out and there's it's big ag country and it's like these big blocks of timber, big blocks of timber. Then they kind of get snaked out and then it ends into to like more I would say rolling cattle pasture and then that meets big ag. What about something like that?
1: In, in a situation like that, you know, going back to wind dictating where those bucks bed more often than not, I really want to look for a property where those hillsides are facing either the South or they're facing, you know, Southeast-ish. So you're getting those, those West winds, those Northwest winds they during the hunting season that are so, kind yeah. of pushing over those bucks yep. and that's where they want to be. And, you know, and then I just killed a buck a couple of years ago, hunting a similar you know, layout to that. If your access, you know, again, it all comes back to access, mm-hmm. right? If you can, can get up in those spots and hunt them in the mornings, especially during the rut you slip into those bedding areas, it could be a, a hot ticket. You just have to understand that because it's not a property that's going to be conducive to hunting throughout the season, you know, early in the season, you really, unless you have the intel that promotes an aggressive move, you want to stay out of those bedding areas, stay away from the bedding areas. Mm -hmm. And then you want to hunt the food and, you know, the transition areas to food. But if you have a property that lends for good bedding, you know, the end of the road property, like you're talking where those, those deer go during the day and that's where they spend most of their time, then I want to look for. A bedding area that lends for good bedding on the on some variation of a west wind because that's your predominant wind direction mm-hmm. you know you're on the front edge of most cold fronts you're going to get a flip out of the east but that's generally for a short period of time and and again you know if, if you can play those movements that are promoted by wind changes those deer go back in those areas where they're most comfortable when the wind goes back to the you know the, the common consistent winds so that's what i'm looking for there Now that's not to say that a property that opens up the other way isn't huntable. It's just Mm -hmm. huntable on less wind directions. You know, if you have a property that hunts better on any variation of West wind, you're going to have a lot more opportunities to hunt than the property that hunts only on East winds.
0: Sure. Yeah. No, we, uh, we just had a podcast We We did a, we had a conversation with a gentleman named Perry Russo um, out of Michigan and he loves East winds. And I'm sure it's, Uh, partially because it's property set up for East winds and they don't happen often. So you stay out of there and then it's just a perfect, perfect uh, storm for a good hunt. And uh, usually in correlation to a major weather change as well. So that's uh, that's interesting. So do you think in your opinion, are there some parcels that are just, I would say broken, like it's a house with a bad foundation. It's going to (laughs) be, you know, it's like the sunken cost fallacy of like, well, I've already spent, you know, I've already done this much. Should I just keep doing this, or buy it, or, you know, put more money into it. I, I think you get my point. Is there such thing yeah, as that? Yeah.
1: I, yes, there, there probably definitely is. For the most part, I don't think there's many of them out there, but it, what it really does come down to is what you're saying. Like, you know, is this house worth sticking, you know, are you going to go buy a $300,000 house that, or property, a $300,000 property with a house on it and then have to stick $300,000 into it to make it livable. You know, that's kind of the, the situation. So any property can be improved. You really just have to look at what your level of investment is. You know, that's mm-hmm. the first conversation I have with every one of my consulting clients. What's your level of investment? Not just money, but time, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, most properties these days, if they're lacking, or it's not, again, we talked about this earlier, it's not necessarily the quality of habitat, but a lot of times it's just the overall quantity of habitat. In the last 10 years, when corn prices and bean prices went through the roof, every possible square foot of tillable or ground with tillable potential was cleared off and became tillable, right? So you had some prairie lands, a lot of these wet areas are, you know, they're putting in drain tile and then- they're stripping these lands so that they can farm as much as they possibly can, because the market called for that. You can always go back and revert those properties back into good quality deer habitat, but it just comes down to your level of investment, right? Sure. Are you willing to buy a property that's gonna take five to 10 years to get to where it really holds and grows deer? And, you know, and with that a substantial amount of money, or do you want to buy a property that's huntable this fall and you can you know, just make it better, chisel away at it over time. But I mean, honestly, what I tell most guys is unless you think that there's a nuclear power plant going up next door mm-hmm. or, you know what I mean? Or it's on the edge of town where it's going to get developed. But even that, you know, again, everything's relative to the situation because if you buy a property on the edge of a, a town that's expanding, you get it for the right price, it might be you know, just approach it with that mentality. It might be a good hunting property for a few years, but that property value might increase tenfold. Be better,
0: better investment. Yeah,
1: exactly. A better investment property. And, and, you know, you just hunt it a little bit and then you sell it four or five years from now. And, and then you take that 10 acre property and you make enough money that you can go buy a 50 acre property down the road, you know, so every situation is different. Um, you know, the big thing is really, it, it really does just come down to your level of investment with time and money and and when you want to get things going, and, you know, for the most part, it is nice to find that secluded chunk somewhere out next to those centennial farms or, or property owners that you already know, you know, maybe yeah. you have a history, maybe you leased a property, stuff like that. Something where you have a little bit of a head start or you can get better intel and work with other people and create that sense of community so you can control the, you know, the, at least the mindset or the goals on a bigger chunk of land.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's so much value in that. And, you know, I would say, it's tough too cuz I've I've helped folks purchase ground where they're not aware of really what's going on in the neighborhood and you can I mean I usually I don't know how many like cold calls random people like hey I got a buddy that's might be interested in buying in this area like what can you tell me about this neighbor and and usually we get a pretty good idea before we have a write up and offer too because if they're not from the area and and I and I don't recognize the names in the plat book like that's something I really do because I the last thing you want is to, to buy a parcel and have like a crazy jerk neighbor that drives oh, the yeah. boundary every night with his truck at four 30 with his dog in the passenger seat, you know, oh, you just yeah. don't want yeah. that. Yeah. And it
1: happens, you know, and that's the other thing too, to, you know, that's a, that's a great point. I'll make sure you have that perspective. Like you could be that new guy or you will be that new guy. Right. So the sooner that you create that or open that line of communication with those neighbors and let them know that you're not just some, some random dude buying a, piece of property in the area, you know, let them know that you are human and you have, you know, you're, you're doing everything that they want to do too. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, we've all been there before, right. There's that piece of ground we're hunting and the neighbors are never there. And then all of a sudden somebody leases or hunts that property. And, you know, and, and again, a lot of those pinch points, a lot of times a fence line itself can create a pinch point, you know, that yeah. one spot where a wire is broken or a tree went down, you know, that can be a pretty good pinch point. And if the neighbor moves in and starts hunting 10 yards off the fence, I mean, don't get discouraged by that and don't get angry. He's just hunting over an obvious pinch point. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, when you're bow hunting, especially, you got to look for those pinch points wherever they are. Mm -hmm. So you just have to communicate with those neighbors and, and, and like, like you said earlier, just be a good person. Don't be a jerk. Don't be that guy. If he wants to be that Mm -hmm. guy, kill him with kindness, right? Send him a gift basket at the end of the year. (laughs) If you shoot a deer, You know especially if he knew anything about it or anything you know share those pictures share Mm -hmm. some snack sticks or some sausage with him whatever it takes you know just build that relationship and it doesn't happen overnight obviously uh, so work towards that but you know it's all it's all part of the fun honestly you know the more again that sense of community create that camaraderie and you never know you know your neighbor might turn out to be one of your best friends i mean he's obviously your ally and he should be your ally. And if you don't live on that property, having someone that lives on the adjacent property that can give you information or let you know what's going on, or, you know, be the guy that goes out and oversees your food plots for you right before it rains, because he has time, you know, Mm -hmm. back to the ideal property situation. If I could buy a property where the neighboring property is a retired guy that (laughs) loves to hunt, that's he's going to be my new best friend because if i can get him to have the same goals as me and we can work together you know i've I've done it before hey i'll i'll buy the food plot seed if you want to put this stuff in what does 30 dollars out of my pocket but the timing you know timing is so critical with a lot of that stuff like if you're willing to just buzz out and broadcast or even spray my food plot while you're doing yours it saves me a ton of time you already have the herbicide mixed up it doesn't take you more than another half hour to cover mine you know and a lot of guys will do it just because they want to, honestly, they just want to see what your property looks like from the inside. You know?
0: sure, yeah. Yeah. That's but a great point. Again, it
1: goes, it goes back to sharing that information. And if he thinks that he's going to be better off by understanding deer on my property and he's willing to share that information with me and I can understand deer on his property, it just paints a bigger picture. And then it kind of just goes back to being a good hunter and it's fair chase. So mm-hmm.
0: you got to out hunt
1: your neighbors and all the other predators in the area too.
0: Yeah, it's a tall task. I just listened to a business podcast uh, yesterday, actually, and it's similar, you know, thought process of like, you know, collaborative learning, meaning, you know, you and I each can make 100 mistakes. And if we don't communicate at all, then we're only 100 mistakes in. But if we yeah. communicate our 100 mistakes each, then we're 200 mistakes in and, you know, are already twice as far as what we would have been if we just kept it all to ourselves. So, um there's definitely a lot of value in there. And it's the same thing of uh, giving more than you take in a conversation. And if they never, you know, provide any other information, well then. Uh, yeah. I mean, then you just
1: don't give them that much more, right? That's, yep. Yep. But so you have to try. Yep. Yeah.
0: So much value in that. Um, okay. So what, um, what are some other things? Like if you were looking to purchase a piece, I mean, what are, I think there's so much that goes into it, but it, what else do you really strongly consider that we haven't necessarily covered? And, and it's, super, you know, it's crystal clear that access is king, but, um, you know, what are some other things that come to mind?
1: Uh, you know, again, on the bigger picture side of things, you want to look at an area in general, you know, is that area conducive for, for big deer, you know, have, has, have there been big deer killed in that area? You know, cause again, anything can be improved, but life is, is relatively short. And, you know, guys like us, we, we basically <laughs> We, we break our life down by the number of hunting seasons we have in us. Right. And, and as life goes on, it gets busier and harder to hunt. So realistically, if you only have 20 or 30 opportunities ahead of you for the, the best time of the year to get out there, you don't want to waste 25% of them trying to create a property that, you know, is going to provide you or put you in a position to you know succeed at your goals. So shooting for an area that has big deer already um, or just has neighbors that, you know, practice quality deer management and are willing to, to have those same goals as you, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're on the property itself, and we start talking about habitat, again, it comes down to uh, your level of investment, your willingness to invest in there. So if you get on a property that, you know, obviously the, really in my mind, if someone's buying a new property, walking into that property that has timber value is a hot ticket because you can put money in your pocket right off the bat. And mm-hmm. then, in the the relatively short period of time (laughs) yeah that habitat's improving inversely if you get into a property that's loaded with invasives and needs to be logged now you're looking at you're just dragging that timeline out because you need to get rid of that stuff as much as possible before you log it off or else that'll all take over and you know there's plenty of cost share options out there um, but you got to jump through some hoops to get that and that means getting a forester out there and anytime you're working with the government it, you know, it slows things down and it's not their fault. They're just not, yeah. you know, they're not equipped to do all that stuff as yep. quickly as we want them to. And, and we live in this very instant, instant satisfaction world. And to slow us down takes a lot of the fun out of that stuff. So, yeah. you know, again, look at that on a big, bigger scale or, you know, the bigger picture there and just kind of weigh it out. Like how long is it going to take to get me to where I want to be? And some properties, they're ready to go right off the bat. And, you know, you're going to pay for that obviously but. That's why you shouldn't overlook those properties that maybe other people don't want to invest that time or money into and, and more upside. you can get them for a steal. Yeah. Yeah. More upside.
0: Yep. Uh It's uh there's always, obviously, you know, land's going to, if any, if the, if the past is anything to what's to come, land's going to continue to appreciate, but anyone savvy is going to say, you make money on the purchase, meaning you, yep. you hedge into a deal. And I'm not saying you're stealing from someone, but even if you walk into 5% of equity, I mean, that's, you know, when you're talking about those sizes and numbers, that's you know, that's sizable. That's huge.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: So yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, but yeah, gosh, we've been talking here for a while. So I, <laughs> I feel I feel we've covered a lot of you know important things here and most importantly of just hound in access. And as you look at these farms, I think a, a map will tell you a lot, but even just take a drive by if it's you know something that you're really interested in, driving by and like getting a, a vibe for the area. Um, does the neighbor say like they have uh, no trespassing signs posted everywhere? And like, I just feel like you can get a lot from just doing a drive-by around that 640 uh, and see what's going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and don't be afraid to knock on some doors, right? You know, it's again, (laughs) you're going to be that new guy. So don't roll up in there with your skinny jeans on and and smacking on some gum or something fruity, right? Like, you know, you got to (laughs) kind of, (laughs) <laughs> when in Rome, right? It's like yeah. if you're dealing with a farming community, go in there looking like someone that's willing to work. You mm-hmm. know, and that's the other thing too is you know be willing to help them out. You know, whether you're sharing information or helping them. You know, if you, especially if you're dealing with a farmer that obviously doesn't have any extra time either. You know, if if you notice issues in the property. Uh, you know, whether you purchase it or not, and you're willing to address that or help them out in any way, shape or form, it's going to benefit you in the long run. But yeah, don't be afraid to knock on doors and, and talk to guys and see, you know, if maybe it does have relatively poor access, but you notice this side of the property, there really isn't much going on for that that particular landowner, right? If it's just a wide open field, but there's a fence line, ask them, you know, can I maybe purchase an easement here or can I get written permission to cross this side of the property across this field where it's not going to disturb any of their potential hunting, Mm -hmm. but it gives you that access and it just opens up that door. And and again, it all comes down to building those
0: relationships with your neighbors. Yeah. Access and be a good person. That's the summary of this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It really is.
0: Yeah. Well, so we have, uh, you know, Obviously, this is going live on Monday. The next day, we have uh, the second leg of this conversation, which was really the first leg. Uh, if that's not confusing enough, uh, going live on Trail Cam Radio the, the next uh, on, on Tuesday here. So, uh, Thomas, I certainly appreciate your time here. It was a fun conversation, and uh, I said it last time, but I am excited to see what you have going on. And um, for I know we didn't touch on it here, but uh, your, if you want to plug your website and what you have going on, uh, briefly, and then we'll, we'll free you for the rest of the weekend and the rest of the Friday here for you.
1: <laughs> well, I, I certainly appreciate you having me on here. Um, it's always a fun conversation. Anytime you get a chance to talk about deer, deer hunting and you know, property stuff, obviously is a, is a key factor when it comes to hunting. Um, yeah, my website is theuntamedambition.com, uh, or, whitetailambition.com will both take you to the same spot uh, whitetail ambition is the name of my coaching program and you know I'll throw a plug in for myself i guess if if yeah. anyone's out there it is a service that i offer uh, i kind of on my website i kind of leave things open-ended because i i really am just looking to help people any way i can um, but you know I, I deal with a lot of customers that are in a position where they're ready to pull the trigger on a property and they just want another perspective Uh, Mm Um, so I'm more than willing to schedule a call, sit down on the phone, look at a map with someone and explain the pros and cons of what I see on a property. And, you know, if it's fairly local or, you know, just depends on the situation. I've walked a couple of properties with people too. And, and like you said before, it's like, you know, you don't want to get yourself in a situation. (laughs)
0: Lost an earpiece there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You, You don't want to get yourself in a situation where you didn't anticipate the the amount of investment it's going to require. So that's, you know, that's a lot of what I offer and I'm dealing with clients like that on a daily basis. So I'm, I'm gaining more and more perspective and more and more expertise in the field every single day. Um, but yeah, if anyone has any questions, that's where you can find me. Uh, you can shoot me an email, thomas at the untamed com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, the untamed ambition. And yeah, I mean, best of luck to everyone out there. You know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to you know make a last-minute decision here whether it persuades you one way or the other. I mean, you know, hunting, buying land, all that stuff. You really you just have to appreciate and have fun with the process in general. It, it can all be very overwhelming. There's just a lot going on out there. And you know, when it comes to the the land thing though, it is a big investment. So mm-hmm. do you know do a measure little bit twice. extra legwork? Yeah. Yes, measure twice, <laughs> cut once. That's right, exactly. You know, do a little bit extra legwork. Uh, don't be afraid to get a second opinion. Uh, Again, knock on some doors that a couple of those awkward conversations might be worth a lot down the road. Uh, But yeah, if if anyone has any questions and there's anything I can do to help, hit me up for sure. That's what I'm here for.
0: Appreciate it. Well, hopefully some people will take you up on that and uh, good luck. And I'm sure we'll be talking here again.
1: All right. I appreciate it. Take care.
0: All right folks, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Really enjoyed the conversation here with Thomas. We're going to have the second part of this conversation on Trailcam Radio tomorrow, Tuesday, September 21st, and we're talking all about data-driven decisions with trail cameras, organizing them, and honestly, a lot of the things we've talked about here in the past, but just from someone else's perspective and uh, hopefully it help you up help you out with this upcoming season. Also, Just a friendly reminder, if you haven't left a written review, it really helps us reach new people. So if you could take just a couple seconds to scroll down at the bottom of iTunes on this podcast and leave a five-star written review, it would really help us out. So until next time, see you guys. Have a great week. Peace.